I'm not sure, is this part of the, the four-piece candles? It is. Okay. Some of you may know that there is a, a church tr- tradition of having four candles for peace, but I couldn't find a blue one, so you have to imagine it. But there's the peace candle, which is white, the faith candle. There's the gold candle of love, which we heard so beautifully presented last week from Tessa. And I'm speaking today about the hope candle, which is blue. And what I really love about the blue candle is that it is... Um, It's also called the prophecy candle. So when I talk about hope, I'm going to speak a lot about prophecy. Um, Some of you will think, goodness, what more is there to say about hope? We've already had, you know, the whole session on it, and we had uh, Caleb giving such an amazing presentation. We had four people speaking. What else is there to say? But, you know, ever since then, I've just found it such a rich topic, and I've been talking about it, thinking about it so much. And uh, I was surprised, but in a way delighted to be able to speak on, prof- on hope today because it's just been occupying my, my thoughts so much. Um, we had a Kingdom School graduation, as you've just heard on Wednesday night, and one of the very special things then was that Mike Burroughs spoke a word of prophecy on every single person who was there. I got two, so I was a bit sort of, I got a double a bonus for being old or was it young there was a bit of a ripple of laughter when he it wasn't quite clear whether he was talking about me when he said you think you're too young and I was thinking well actually in some ways I do (laughs) so there you go everybody else found it very funny (laughs) I am the oldest in the church I have been for a while and that's an interesting experience (laughs) anyway um if I can oh yeah next one is it yeah I discovered that the Hebrew word for hope is tikvah, and it's quite a popular name for girls in Israel, and it means rope. So I brought along a rope. Yeah, it's blue. It's blue and red and white, all great colors. Blue is the prophetic word, and that's going to be a big word on what we're talking about today. The, the blue of hope, the blue of prophecy, tikvah. Now, I, I was... I was very interested in one of the things that that Matt said when he was speaking about faith, and it's just as true about hope. You know, this rope, unless it's attached to something, is completely useless. Just a heavy lump of cloth or whatever. Um, it's the, for, for a tether requires a solid post or some strong object for it to be attached to. If if you have a dog and you have the dog attached to a rope, but you don't have the rope attached to anything else, that dog's going to be off. They won't be sitting there waiting for you because it's got a rope. The rope is not enough. It needs the strong post. It needs a stone. It needs something that it's attached to. So what is your hope attached to? That's the really important thing. So be remembering that and be thinking, yeah, okay, I have hope, but what is my hope in? What is keeping me from wandering off into despair, wandering off into suicidal thoughts or panic or hopelessness or all those horrible, horrible things that can happen when hope is not attached to some strong thing? Now, the the Bible does talk a lot about hope, and especially in the Psalms, I found. Most of the references in the Old Testament are actually in the Psalms. And I noticed a pattern there. What is he hoping? He hopes in the Lord. He hopes in the word of the Lord. That's the prophetic word. He longs for the salvation of God. He hopes again in the word. Those, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, who hope in his love. That's another thing. Steadfast love. That's a solid, dependable love. 
For God alone my soul waits in silence. My hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. So what's your hope in this morning? I'm really encouraging us to make sure that our hope is tethered to the right thing and not to something that's going to let you down, melt away. Coming towards Christmas, looking all through the Old Testament, even though the word hope isn't mentioned very often, it's a thread right from the beginning because it begins with a promise in, right in the Garden of Eden when there was rebellion and the uh, Adam and Eve, our four, forefathers, were about to be banished, they were given a promise that there was going to be one coming who was going to put things right. There was going to be someone who was going to deal with this enemy who had caused the problem in the garden. And from then on, over and over and over again, you have this this rope, this thread of hope running all the way through every single book of the Old Testament right through to Malachi. Every single book. Sometimes it's massive, as in the book of Isaiah. Sometimes it's just a little thread, like Micah, where it talks about uh, the fact that this one is going to be an amazing person. He's going to be uh, born in Bethlehem. You, Bethlehem, though you're just a little place, you're going to have this great one coming to your place. So all the way through, and I was reflecting on this last night, and just as I thought, thought, why did it have to be like this? Why did it have to be for hundreds and thousands of years, this little bit of stuff here, and a little song here, a little psalm there, a little word there? Why was it like that, Lord? And I thought he was saying to me, you have no idea of the cosmic implications of Jesus coming to earth. It is beyond your understanding how incredibly the whole universe is being impacted by this coming. It's so momentous, so stupendous, that our human brains can hardly begin to cope with it. He had to drop feed the idea in very special people over centuries and centuries and centuries. Almost like a mosaic. When, you, when the mosaic is finished, you look back and there's this beautiful picture. But initially, it just looks like little bits of colored um, clay. But all together, it makes that beautiful picture. The, you, know, you, know the, you know many of these by heart because we think of them especially at Christmas time. And we've all got our favorite ones. Yeah, that one. That's a real favorite of mine. For unto us a child is born, a son will be given to us. And then the way the son is described is beyond belief. This was one of the very strong prophecies. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, a child called mighty God, eternal father. What? Prince of peace. There'll be no end to the increase of his government or of peace or the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. It's, that's mind-blowing enough, but I love that at the end it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. You know, that, what is that saying? God's really excited about this. Zeal means enthusiasm, passion. He, the whole universe is going to be totally transformed through the coming of Jesus. And God, way back in... The time of Isaiah, which was not an easy time. It was a horrible time. For them, probably worse than the pandemic. Terrible time of, of defeat and failure and oppression and, and overthrow and exile and all sorts of ghastly things. But there was this hope 
this incredible promise of hope that was coming at that very time. And it was going to be for their people right in their nation. Something to get incredibly excited about. Now, because this, is, this message is about prophecies, I'm going to weave a few prophecies through this. And the first one concerns our son. A uh, long time ago, in Wellington Hospital, Graham and I had the joy of welcoming a baby boy into our family. And I had been very sick, so I was still pretty heavily sedated. And uh, sometime later that night, the, the, the doctor, the specialist who was looking after me, came and said, I just need to tell you that your baby's very ill and we don't know if he's going to pull through. He's in intensive care. And um, so I was lying there in the, in the dark thinking about this. And Then the Lord gave me this incredible picture. Quite amazing. I saw this. Um, I was in Trafalgar Square in London. And if you know pictures, I had never been to Trafalgar Square in London, but everybody's seen the pictures, I think. Pigeons flying around. And there we were, and there was this little boy of two, and he was wearing a little blue coat, rosy cheeks, and he was running amongst the pigeons. And I just knew that was our son. And I just knew we were going to be in Trafalgar Square, and he was going to be like that. Well, time went on, and the Lord healed him totally. Uh, we were also told he might, be, he might be blind, but from that picture I knew he wasn't a blind child. And so we didn't become very anxious about that one either. He was totally healed with no side effects from those early days in oxygen, in intensive care. He was totally healed. But um, we went from there to Canada, and then eventually we made our way around the world, and we ended up in London. And one day our friend said to us, well, why don't you just spend the day in London? We thought, oh, that's a good idea. And we went into London, and we did all the sights in London. And suddenly... I saw Graham and our son, and I thought, that's exactly the picture I saw in Wellington Hospital. I hadn't recreated the scene, it just was there in front of me. Wow, and we actually have it on video, so we have a confirmation. Yeah, amazing, amazing thing. So there is an example of God very graciously in a very dark time giving a, 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 a beautiful picture of hope. And it's often in the dark times that God does that. Uh, from my experience, it's amazing. You know that other lovely, um, lovely uh, prophecy, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who are in the land of the shadow of death, on them the light shines. Amazing. And I, I really think that's a, a word of hope for all of us today. You know, in this pandemic, it is a time of darkness, but it's also a time of light. And we can even expect it to be a time of great light, I believe, through the prophetic words that are spoken. And so this, these prophecies of hope went on. And it's interesting, they became, there was a flurry of them just at the time Jesus was being born. All the people around him were given prophetic messages, visions, dreams, revelations. And uh, one of them was, was a fairly unlikely one. He was... He wasn't, he was Probably the most skeptical of all the people at that time, and that was uh, John the Baptist's father, Zacharias. And yet he was given a wonderful message, almost a whole chapter, of hope and, and promise, uh, which was both for his own child and for his child as the forerunner of Messiah. 
Just look at these lovely verses. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. To give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to guide our feet into the way of peace. The sunrise from on high, of course, the sun of righteousness, our Lord Jesus. Wonderful, wonderful pictures of hope. And one of my favorites is in Haggai, where it talks about uh, the desire of all nations coming. You know, my heart is for the nations, no doubt about that. It is for all the nations. And that, that one really thrills my heart, that the coming of Jesus is the coming of the desire for all nations. There isn't a people group in the whole world who doesn't long, ultimately, to know forgiveness of sins. God has given to each one of us that, that understanding, that tenderness to know something about guilt, something of the need for forgiveness. And just as, as at the beginning there, Caleb was saying, you know, we, I really love what he said about not taking offense. You know, offense is the bait of Satan. I think um, somebody referred to that, and I so agree with it. It stinks. We are not to allow offense to enter our lives. And we, we really need to work at that sometimes and just keep forgiving and keep loving and keep allowing God to show us things differently because it's, it's really, really important that we live in forgiveness, not in holding grudges, resentments, offenses. Let them go. Let's let them go and walk in his peace. That's one of the ways of walking in peace. For our own internal peace to walk in the knowledge that he's forgiven us for our sins and our relationships with one another, to have peace in this church requires us not holding offense, not holding grudges, walking in forgiveness. Before I come to that, I'll just tell you another, another story of, of hope. Uh, this is much more recent. It's a friend of ours who was living in Melbourne and um, quite an old man. We, we knew him. He'd had a pretty, pretty hard life. His plan was, uh, during the uh, Lebanese Civil War, to bring his whole family to, to Melbourne, away from Lebanon. So he went and he made arrangements. He got schools for them and everything. And then the rest of the family refused to come. But by then, he was happily settled in Melbourne, felt it was the place to be, stayed on there. And for the next, oh, I don't know, maybe 30 or 40 years, he lived alone in Melbourne periodically visited the family back in Melbourne, uh, back in Lebanon, but he never lived there. He became very ill and he was dying. And I felt so, um, so sad for him. We were in Wellington, we're here. Uh, but just praying for him and just, just not, under, not knowing where he stood spiritually, not having seen any real signs of spiritual life. A, a typical, um, uh, no, I don't want to say typical. Anyway, moving on. I'm not going to stereotype. Um, and as I was praying for him, I had a picture of, um, of a boat. And it actually was very, somebody, late, in fact, one of the people I, I told about this later showed me a picture so like it. So it, was, it was a very, very stormy sea and the, and the waves were green and glassy. You know how sometimes they go almost translucent? And this boat was getting swamped with water. And our friend his name is Joseph. Joseph was in the boat and Joseph was just actually landed up in the water 
and he was sinking. He was in real trouble. The waves were so high, and he was just struggling as if he couldn't swim, struggling, putting up his hand, and then going down again, up again, and down again. It was a terrible, terrible anguish, terror, absolute terror on his face. And then I suddenly saw Jesus. And this, is, this sounds so, so strange, but it was Jesus as he appears on the cross. He was in the water, but he had the crown of thorns on, and he was all covered with horrible, like the you know, stripes of scarlet, with, the, with the, the wounds on his body. And he, he reached out, and he just grabbed hold of our friend and just lifted him up out of that water, lifted him up. But even more amazingly, not only did he, did he do that, but somehow that crown of thorns on his head, he, he I don't know how to, it's one, you know, in dreams funny things happen. But anyway, what arrived on the head of Joseph was a beautiful laurel wreath. You know those everlasting wreaths of, 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 uh, that you see in the ancient um, Roman and Greek poem, uh, paintings and so forth, the, like, an, like a, a crown of life was placed on his head. It was just incredible. And um, I, I, I wrote to his um, people in Melbourne who were going to the funeral. They flew over to the funeral. None of them lived there. And um, I said, please just get the florist to make a laurel wreath. No flowers, a green, fresh laurel wreath and put it on the casket, which they did. And I explained something of, of, the, of the dream. Um, we went to Lebanon and we met up with all his family soon after that. His, uh, I'm not sure if his, his wife was there or not, but certainly his, his children who did love him, his children and in-laws and grandchildren were there. And I told them the story. And it was obviously incredibly healing for them. Because like me, they must have wondered what would happen to him. And to know that in his dying moments, Jesus was there and he was given the crown of life. And I know that we're going to see him in heaven. I have absolutely no doubt he's in heaven. He did have a hard life. His life was stormy and his end can't have been easy either. But the Lord rescued him. And that was such a wonderful, wonderful picture to me of how gracious God is, how wonderfully he does look after us. So there are these special times that he gives us, times when he wipes away tears and gives us deep refreshing, as he did on that occasion for, for us. Um, now, one of the things that's been happening in the pandemic and before, but it seems to be especially now, uh, and Marty was talking about this with me the other day, it's... Um, we're going through a time of sifting and it's not an easy time it's a time of shaking it's a time of sifting and obviously these, these times have always come in history and um, in the book of Hebrews whoever wrote Hebrews Paul or Aquila and Priscilla or Apollos, or whoever it was, we don't know. But this dear person, whoever wrote this book, was very concerned um, about what was going on amongst the believers. And in chapter 6, um, it says, 
that there are some who have fallen away, some who, who seem to have tasted of the, the lovely things that God has sensed the, the presence of God in a, in a gathering like this and maybe sung the songs and found them very beautiful, and then something's gone wrong and they have fallen away. And you think, how could that be? Well, without spending any more time speculating on that, the writer goes on to say, Beloved, we're convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation. And we desire that each of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Speaking of sluggish, just the other day somebody was talking about one of the temptations that we face in our day. Surprise, surprise, of social media. And one of the problems that we face, again, surprise, surprise, because of that, you can go online instead of coming to church when you actually could come to church, and then you find so many other interesting things to watch. You never quite get around to watching the message. And so, so this is an example, a good example to my mind of being sluggish. Um, so we've got to be careful not to be sluggish. It's so easy, so easy. And nobody knows except you and the Lord. But he's saying, just be diligent. Be diligent. Imitate those who through faith and patience, like our lovely Abraham, my favorite man, inherit the promises. And it goes on a bit later to say, this hope, this hope, all these promises, all these prophecies, you've all had them, I think. All these promises that you treasure, that you have, or maybe you need to remind yourself of them, all of them, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters the veil where Jesus has entered as the forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, the anchor. Ugh. I can hardly carry this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it is heavy, isn't it? No, it's fine. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's heavy. It's heavy. Okay. So in the very in very olden times, they used a rock for an anchor, which I think is wonderful because it links up with all the passages we've looked at to do with hope as a, as a rock, they would probably put a hole in there so that the rope could be attached to it, and then it would be, you don't need to keep carrying it. Yeah. So you've got, the, you've got the idea. Okay. Hope is an anchor. I think it would break this thing. Yeah, it's heavy. It's really heavy. Hope is an anchor, both short and steadfast. And so the rope is attached to the anchor. Now, it's interesting that the Old Testament always talks about the rope, which leads to the New Testament, which tells us about the anchor, which is Jesus. So two words for hope, rope and anchor. And so the revelation comes with the New Testament that it is Jesus who is our anchor. And you're looking for something strong to attach to the rope. He's the one. There's no one and nothing in this universe to attach your hope and your promises to rather than Jesus himself. Such an amazing thing. It's sure and it's steadfast. And amazingly, it leads into the very presence of God. Within the veil, of course, the veil speaking of what had separated us from God. But now if you go in 
behind the veil, you're going into the very holy of holies, the presence of God himself. That's an amazing, amazing thing. So this, this is, what, what is it that keeps our faith alive? Yes, it is those promises. I hang on to promises. They're promises I'm still waiting for. We're living in a day of, I don't know if you guys are noticing, but there's so many amazing prophetic words coming out at the moment from prophets all around the world. And they're not saying that the pandemic will end. They're not saying that a miracle cure will be found, I mean, or anything like that. They're saying that God is going to visit our planet in a very special way. There is going to be a mighty revelation of the glory of God. There is going to be a revival such as we've never known. And one of the reasons we're spending so long at InterCP doing the training for the international church planting work is because we believe this. And we believe we need to be as well prepared as possible. And we don't want any nation to be left out. Starting here in Wellington, for sure, New Zealand, for sure. The Pacific nations, for sure. But going right on to those relatively unreached people groups in the 1040 window. That is incredibly important to us. We don't want anybody left out. We don't. There are brothers and sisters. If you've lived them, they're wonderful people. They're darling people. And I, I don't know if you've seen just recently um, the Belarus-Polish border. And there's Gorgeous families, just so beautiful, and they're being sent back by plane to some remote part of of um, Kurdistan, Iraq, where we know how they'll be treated. And I, I was just noticing the sense of of hope, of passion that is expressed by one of the fathers. They said, do you regret this journey? He said, no. He said, I'm going to go back as soon as I can. He said, first, we'll, get it. we'll work hard. We'll get a tent. Once we've got a tent, we'll start saving up and preparing, and then we're going to go back. We're going to keep on trying, and we're never going to give up. I thought, wow, passion, hope. That guy has hope for his family, and he is not giving up, even though they were in the snow, stuck in warehouses and, and uh, in forests, on the borders of Belarus and Poland, he's saying, we're going to keep on. We have hope. He's a man of hope. Incredible. Now, his hope is to give his family a secure life in Europe, a, a, a relatively free life. We have people that we know who've come to Kiamaya who have similar hopes and dreams. They've come to Wellington, to New Zealand, believing it's a place which it is relatively safe and relatively free of corruption and of the things that they hate in their previous home place. And so that's really, really good, and we admire, we commend people for these things. But, oh, we want them to have more than that. We want them to have eternal hope. We want them to have an eternal place of safety and security. We want them to live forever in the presence of our mighty God. Nothing more wonderful for that. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession. Zealous, there's that word zeal again. Zealous for good works. What, what is that going to take that makes us passionate to do good works? I think when we really fall in love with Jesus, we really fall in love with, with uh, our dear Father God, that it's exciting to do what he wants us to do. We can actually get pretty excited about it, enthusiastic about it, because it's going to be good. That's my experience over many years, many, many years. More than 70. <laughs> so there you go. 
Now, another thought about this anchor. Graham remembered this from when, uh, when he was listening to Leonard Sweet, who was a speaker in, in Christchurch years ago. And he was saying that there's a technique that, that yachtsmen use. You might know it, Matt. And it's called kedging. Anybody heard of kedging? Yeah, yeah, you have. Great. Well, so I, I, I t- described it to one person who w- was a boaty, and they, they, they knew the technique, but they didn't know the term kedge. But what you do apparently is, you, you'd have to be stronger than I am, you take that anchor and you hurl it where you're fairly near the shore and there's a bit of danger near the shore and you know, you're, you're sort of in danger of getting stuck there with the rocks and the shoals. You, you, I understand you hurl it out into deep waters as far out as you can and then you winch your boat up to that place far further out away from all these dangers, right? Yeah. There you go. So sometimes we have to do that. Sometimes in life, we have to, by faith, just as it were, take that word of faith that God's given to us and hurl it out into a very deep place. And then we, as it were, winch our life up to that point, which may take a bit of time to do. Um, So some of us need to be doing that. Throw that hope that you have right out where you can't see it, where it goes way out and it goes down, down, down into that deep place and you're trusting that it's going to hold you as you winch your way towards it. With, with, with this glory that's coming, um, we, have to, we have to be prepared for this, going out into very, very deep waters. But you know how we do it? It's by going low. We have to go low. We have to go low, 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 down, down, down. Repent, 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 get down on our knees. We, it's not, you know, I, I think back in the 70s, the big breakthrough was when we learned to raise our hands and praise God. And I get a lot of joy and freedom in doing that now. At first it was so hard. You sort of felt very brave when you went like this. And then you sort of, or this, feel self-conscious. And then when you actually put your hands up and praise God, it felt so free. Now that's good, and I'm going to continue to do that as well. But there is a place for going down. Face down on the ground, face down, 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 and waiting on God in that place, allowing him to do whatever he has to do to redeem us and purify a people so that we'll be ready to carry the glory that's coming. Because it's going to be amazing. And this is all a forerunner to what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. All of this is preparing for Jesus to come back. I've been reading um, uh, Tom Wright's book on, on um, hope. Hope. Yeah, surprised by hope. It's, it's actually, it's, it's hard to get your head around because it's a little different from the typical ones, but it's actually quite biblical, I assure you. And he basically says there that when Jesus comes again, Jesus is coming to establish his kingdom here. And actually, God loves this earth. Now, this shouldn't be a revelation to us because in Genesis, he says he, he loved it. He thought it was good. And when he saw us, he thought very good. He actually loves this place. And I don't know about you, but I get great delight in going into our garden. And quite often I find myself saying, thank you for this bush. It's got so many colors of green. It's so exquisitely beautiful. And this flower, it is so lovely. How did you think of these colors, Father God? You are amazing. You know, just to go and thank him for what he's done. Now, that's a small part. And look at each person he's made. Now that I can see better, I can see more to enjoy. And I know when I first began to see, I went out for dinner with, with um, our grandson. I don't embarrass him. It was one of our grandsons. And I kept staring at him and saying, 
you're so beautiful. Because <laughs> I could see his face. And I saw these lovely eyes and these lovely white shiny teeth and just this lovely expression on his face. I thought, he's beautiful. <laughs> you know, suddenly the world is clearer. But, you know, God has made a beautiful world and he is going to redeem it. So everything that is still, or not still, that we have turned into a plastic rubbish dump, choking our whales and our dolphins, all the stuff that we've done to wreck and to damage this beauty, he's going to put right. Don't ask me how, but it's going to be put right. Because redeem means that. It means you, you buy it back and you, 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 you deal with it properly. You look after it. It's his, it's his ultimately. He's going to take it back from the enemy who's been doing all these corrupt, greedy things that we've participated in. We've been, just as, we've been partners in this just as we were from the beginning. And it's going to be redeemed. I, I, I find that uh, mind-blowing. I don't know about you, but sometimes at night I think, how are you going to do it, Lord? How will you do it? I haven't a clue whether it's going to be zap and it's all done or whether he's going to set us about doing it. And he's going to say, right, now you have the job of cleaning the oceans, CV, and you have the job, um, you know, so-and-so of doing something else, and he will give us the miraculous power to do these things. I have no idea. But just as the people in the Old Testament hung on to hope, but they really had no idea how it was going to be, they really didn't. I mean, just each one, I guess, Abraham had a better idea than almost anybody. Isaiah had a better idea. But most people just were given a teeny, teeny glimmer of what it was going to be like. So in the same way, we only have a tiny glimmer of what's going to happen when he comes to restore his kingdom. But, you know, we pray that. Some of us pray it almost every day. Your kingdom come. This is what we mean. End of plastics all over the place. End of mental health problems, end of suicidal children. God's going to wipe away all tears from their eyes. And I was just reading these harrowing reports of these little tiny kids. They don't even know why they're sad. They just seem to have absorbed the sadness of the world somehow. But he's going to wipe the tears from their eyes. That gives me hope. So may the God of hope, let me read the benediction. Maybe you can all stand and we'll rejoice in this benediction. Now may the God of all hope fill you, capital vineyard, with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right, that's good enough to say again. Say it to one another. Okay. And now may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.